Hi everyone, welcome to season two, episode 10 of Seeking Witchcraft. It's me, Ashley. So today's episode is with an author named Mortellus. We have a really cool discussion and I really, really enjoyed our interview. But before I post it, I wanted to give a little bit of a heads up or a little bit of just a disclaimer, I guess you can say. The conversation that Mortellus and I have may be a little heavy for some users um, as we do talk about death and death magic and the deceased. And for myself personally, I am completely comfortable talking about that topic, but I know for some others, it may be a little bit more sensitive, especially now living in the time of COVID where death seems to be a little bit more around us and living in a time of, you know, injustices such as George Floyd. So I just want to give a heads up if this is a topic that you're a little bit on the fence about, you're not sure if you're totally comfortable listening, I will say it is talked about in a completely respectful and eloquent way. And I think you would be really surprised at how great this interview is um, if you are wary about death. But if you're like me and totally comfortable listening to it, then I think you're going to absolutely love this episode. So, (laughs) okay, cool. So that's just my little disclaimer. Um, I also just want to say one other thing. I want to make this abundantly clear that I am a total supporter of Black Lives Matter. I think that the protests are doing exactly what they need to do. We're exposing police brutality. We're exposing racism in the system. I think it's so important what is happening. So please continue to protest, continue to speak your voice, and please, please, please wear a mask, (laughs) especially if you're doing this. So thank you to everybody who's been so bravely out there. Um, keep on, keep it on guys. All right. Well, that's it for now. I hope you guys enjoy the episode and I will speak with you all very soon. Bye. So I'm going to play a short ad. And in the meantime, I'd recommend maybe grabbing a pen and a notebook and maybe your favorite brew or tea. And I'll be back with you in just a moment. Hey everyone, welcome to Seeking Witchcraft. Today, I am super excited to have Mortellus on this episode. We have a really cool topic she's going to talk about. Uh, She is a mortician, she is a witch, and she has a book coming out from Llewellyn called Do I Have to Wear Black? Rituals, Customs, and Funerary Etiquette for Modern Pagans. So thank you, Mortellus, so much for coming on. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I think you did most of the heavy lifting there. Um, <laughs> not much to say other than I'm a witch, a medium, and I play with dead things. <laughs> <laughs> that's goals right there. That's, yeah, that's it. That's the whole story. <laughs> Done well, with the episode. That's <laughs> Yeah, there we go. We don't even need to keep going. We're, we're good. That's it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, you mentioned that you're a medium. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know. I often avoid the word for myself and prefer to say that I'm a necromancer because one, it just sounds really cool. And two, I I think the the word has a bad rap. I really don't believe in white or black magic. I don't believe that magic can be good or bad. Just people can be good or bad. And necromancy is what I do. I work with the dead. So when I do mediumship, I sort of roll it into that word because it's just my magic. But um from a psychic perspective I suppose it means one has a talent for interacting with spirits of the dead and I've um, I don't know been afflicted with with that ability uh, since childhood I had a near-death experience and spent four days in a coma and 
after I woke up from that, it was just something I could do. Wow. Yeah, that's, wow, it's heavy. <laughs> it's so, sometimes terrible. It's sometimes great. You know, it's, it's always interesting. Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, being able to speak with the dead has definitely been able to influence your work, working, uh, you know, with the dead. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think when I was small, I mean, it took me a few years to kind of come to terms with it. Nobody likes that when they're a kid, right? That's what that whole movie was about. Seeing dead people when you're a kid sucks. (laughs) But but when I finally, you know, made space for it in my head and saw a therapist to make sure I wasn't schizophrenic and all the things that are good and logical and sane to do. um, I don't know. I, I guess I started by volunteering with hospice and doing a lot of work like that over the years because it just sort of became increasingly part of my mundane life this sort of magical half of me and 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 that's what any of us would wish for I think as witches having this ritual-based life where magic is rolled into our mundane selves and it's part of you know the living that we make without being gross but (laughs) (laughs) um I came to a point where, you know, volunteering wasn't enough for me. I wanted to be more hands-on. So, you know, I struck out all fresh-faced and eager to join mortuary school and learn all that fun jazz. Actually, very recently graduated. And Ooh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Graduating in the time of pandemics is neither fun nor moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a hell of a time in society right now, unfortunately. Oh, I graduated today. I'm still in my underpants. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, you know what? That's like a goal right there. Goal. <laughs> That's a mood. <laughs> Graduation goals. Sitting on your couch, drinking a root beer in your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> the lucky thing about uh, being a mortuary sciences student is by and large, you can begin your work and do apprenticeships and things like that while you're a student. So I've, I've been lucky enough to be able to to get a lot of experience under my belt along the way and in, in addition to that, I had worked in um, helping people plan home burials. I've been kind of, you know, a death advocate for a long time and uh, just sort of working around the fringes of, of really the, the death industry proper before delving headfirst into it. And yeah, it, it's a long journey from, I think that's a ghost to <laughs> where I am have you ever had any, like, um, really intense spiritual experiences while working with the dead? That's a tricky question. If, if we're talking about, I don't know, I think people hear that you're a mortician and you spend your time in prep rooms and funeral homes and things like that. They're like, oh, it must be very spooky. You're in, you're in cemeteries all the time. But <laughs> shockingly, dead people don't really hang out in those places. <laughs> they didn't die there. Their family's not there. So why? Like... They are um, pretty surprisingly squeaky cleanup ghosts, but I have had moving experiences with the dead, certainly. I mean, there are all kinds of situations where I've you know, been surprised by not just the exchange I was having, but what I brought home from it. Ooh. Certainly for privacy reasons, ethics reasons, etc. I cannot talk to you about cases that I've interacted with, but yeah, you know, I can I can describe the edges of things. And uh, they they're sometimes funny and they're sometimes heavy. Um, you know, I had a situation where 
um, it, it was a young woman. She had died in a motorcycle crash and um, on a date and just like the best time of her life kind of situation. Young and beautiful and you can tell that everything about that moment felt like it was the beginning of things and not the end of things. And then to see someone like that laying cold on the table in front of you is it it's humbling, you know. And I remember spending God an hour, an hour and a half brushing this girl's hair because she had this beautiful thick, heavy, waist-length hair, and you could tell it was something she was proud of, you know, but here it is with chunks of asphalt and leaves and sticks, and I'm just combing and combing and combing to make it perfect. And then at the end of the day to find that she had followed me home, and it's just sitting in the dark after a day like that, having your tea, just coming to terms with the fact that you just have one more guest in your house can be kind of heavy but yeah wow absolutely yeah I'm, I'm sure she was extraordinarily appreciative though of you doing that for her yeah it, it's um people would be surprised the small things people spend their time on in prep rooms like uh, I had a case once who uh, died while they were painting their fingernails they had only gotten a couple done and everyone in the prep room stopped and went and found polish of the same color so that we could come back and, and finish the job for her. Aww. It's the little stuff that I think really humanizes the experience. Absolutely. I remember, um, I've heard you spoke previously about how when bodies are being prepared, um, you can actually speak to somebody if you want like a certain incense being burned during that, right? Sure. Um, I think people would be really surprised by what they can ask their uh, funeral service professionals for. I mean, it, obviously, you, you couldn't have a dozen candles in there. Some of our candles and, or some of our equipment and chemicals are flammable and that sort of thing. But, you know, if wanted to burn a stick of incense or ask us to play a certain music or um, add an oil to the water we wash your loved one with or any number of things. I mean, those are definitely requests we can honor. Things like asking if you can have back some of the water we bathed them with for ritual purpose, or if your mortuary worker could draw a little bit of blood that you could have for your altar, or just any number of things. Um, you can even be present in the room if you ask. Um, some funeral homes might do their very, very best to discourage you, but <laughs> never forget you can shop around if you, if you don't like the answer that you're getting. You can ask to go somewhere else. Um, so you actually mentioned something really interesting. Um, so you mentioned that people can have some of the water that the body is bathed with, um, you know, and they can use it for ritual purposes. If somebody was able to obtain something like that, like what are some things they could do with that water? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I could write you a book about that, actually. But <laughs> I think a very simple thing you can do, um, certainly bearing in mind that your mortuary worker will probably be kind enough to give you the water from their second bathing. They get washed twice because it will be much less nasty. <laughs> um, you could freeze it and use some of that over the years for um, water on your ancestor altar at Hallows would be an example. Mm. Um, let's say it was your mother that died, for example, and you had some of that water and you froze it, but you're 
you're getting hand fasted a few years later you could pull some of it out and use it for the consecration so she could be there with you um one of my favorite little uses for corpse water is a silly one i use it for curse breaking curse removal generally speaking Ooh. curses can only stick to you as long as you're alive right they mm-hmm. don't they don't have any reason to stick to you after you're dead so I use corpse water to consecrate someone. I wash them so that they're disguised as the dead so that the curse falls away. And then I re-consecrate them with fresh, blessed, salted water so that they are now back in the land of the living and free of their curse. Wow. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> Necromancy at its whitest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I really like the idea of, you know, they're, you're washing them with the corpse water. And so they become in a sense spiritually dead. So that hex like kind of falls away from them and then you bring them back. I mean, that sounds like that can be an intense ritual just on its own. It can. Um, I often use that as a way of meditating or I use it as part of my personal practices to sort of move myself into the veil, um, I think that's something I'm personally fascinated with as a magical practice, just simply because I have such a visceral memory of being dead once. So a performing act that put me back in that space so I can move within that realm spiritually, I find um, very rewarding, much more so than things like astral travel, which I've never really connected with that, that space. But moving around in the underworld, I'll do that all day long. Cool. So would you say that you find there's a difference spiritually moving around in the land of the undead versus the astral plane? Um, yes, absolutely. I, I would call them definitively different spaces. And I would like to adjust that phrase. It's not a land of the undead. They, they're <laughs> assuredly dead there. <laughs> True. Most definitely dead. Definitely dead. Yes. <laughs> they're definitely dead. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, the astral plane is more, um, I don't know. Have you ever been hiking somewhere in high altitudes? Uh-huh. Okay, so you know that feeling that your lungs have very sort of thin, high air? Absolutely, yeah. That, that's the astral to me. Okay, interesting. Um, moving in the underworld feels more like floating under the water in your bathtub. Huh. I can, I can actually, yeah, I can actually see that. It's got a different feeling. Everything is a little more gray, but not empty. And um, I have found that, I don't know, I, I'm going to get like way off into like unverified personal gnosis, woo-woo land if I talk too much. But <laughs> I don't know, it's like everything has a light about it. Some are brighter, some are dimmer, some are different. But when you're sort of moving in that space, you can sort of discern those differences in the things around you Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting yeah you know I think that's actually a really it's I think it's really cool to have a distinction between the two and trying to figure out you know how that feels for you um or like you know anybody listening because if people want to do work for example for Samhain um Mm -hmm. and they might want to connect with an ancestor or something like that it might be better for them instead of trying to reach that same feeling they get if they're trying to reach the astral to look a little deeper maybe a little more down <laughs> if you will yes. um, it, yeah. it's, it's definitely a different feeling and I I couch my ideas about magic in very scientific terms and you'll discover that if and when you read my book I talk a lot about sort of 
the parameters for my beliefs and how they fall into a logical universe, but I really don't feel like one is lower or higher or in a different place. I think they're very much on top of each other all the time. Um, I'm a big proponent of string theory, um, the many worlds theory, the idea Mm -hmm. that there are um, infinite universes overlapping all at once. So I feel like we sort of exist in them at all moments, just only situationally able to discern them. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm a little sad that my spiritual awareness in the moment is that the one that is living in a COVID world. (laughs) But, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) Oh, yes, I I, I get it. And it's funny, too, if you if you work with those kind of spaces, you find yourself just sort of falling into them accidentally. And maybe that's just like bad uh, spiritual hygiene for me, but (laughs) I, I find myself just sort of doing my work you know and and just realizing I've sort of let myself slip into that place not meaning to and it's it's strange to stand in a prep room which itself is an incredibly liminal space this person has just died and they've not yet been buried they've not yet moved on many people believe that the spirit remains close to the body for a period of time so we're sort of tasked with holding that loved one in this in-between And I find myself constantly sort of mentally slipping into that in between myself where I'm standing between all of these junctures of spiritual worlds and life and death and just basic humanity where we're these these entities that that the bereaved don't want to look at. They want to talk to the funeral director. They don't want to see the mortician because that's too real. We've touched death. Yeah, that's heavy. Yeah. Um, so would you say that your magic has been influenced by your job or vice versa? Definitely vice versa. I, I definitely started with death magic and then wound up in the work. Okay. Just sort of my personal background with the near-death experience and, and just sort of backtracking it to a career. I I guess I was looking for a place where I could serve the deities that I work with in my day-to-day mundane life and bring ritual and magic into every aspect of my life. That's always the goal. (laughs) And it's, it's definitely affected how I've approached that work. It's definitely affected the experiences that I've had. I went into it knowing it was going to be a very conservative place and you know, making myself a promise that I was never going to pull punches and say that I was something that I wasn't just so that I would have career success or fit in the space. So imagine standing in like the most conservative Christian Republican kind of career you can imagine, just completely male dominated patriarchal space (laughs) and going, hi, I'm a lady and I'm also a witch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine having to try to fight just to like you know be who you are in that space literally just this week I was banned and I mean that in the literal sense from a professional group that is (gasps) um, embalmers and morticians for my uh, spiritual beliefs what oh my gosh that's fresh on my mind (laughs) that's awful (laughs) 
Yeah. One of the admins messaged me pretty candidly and was like, well, I had to be completely grossed out when asking why you got banned because they said some not nice things I won't repeat to you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, hey, that's that's the world. And if, if someone doesn't stand up there and get the flack, then nobody ever thinks about that issue. So if nothing else, someone had to watch that happen. Someone who's a closeted pagan in that group watched that interaction and got to consider it you know yeah and you know i'm i'm sure that there is probably tons of pagans who work in this space who work you know doing mortuary um you know work tasks i i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if there was like a large majority of them (laughs) there are quite a few for sure especially in the younger generation and and we're definitely seeing more women in the industry i think our um Forgive me if I misquote the statistic, but I think something like 80% of of incoming students to mortuary sciences are, are female now or female identifying. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's a huge change. And um, whereas at one time it was mostly people who were like they grew up in a funeral home or their parents and grandparents owned a funeral home. Now we're seeing a lot of people who never worked in this industry before coming into it. So that's it's definitely changing the face of that industry. And you are right. There are uh, quite a few amazing pagan morticians out there. Um, uh, one in particular is a friend of mine, and she definitely contributed to the book coming out. She co-wrote the, the chapter on heathenry. Uh, uh, Leah Svensson, she, she runs a blog called Levy Loki, where she talks about her life as, as an East Coast heathen. So check her out online. She's a pretty awesome person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you um, send me the information, I will put her information in the bio for this episode. Absolutely. Cool. So anybody listening, be on the lookout for that. (laughs) Uh, So one question, if somebody was really interested in working, you know, with the dead in a magical sense, like, but they're kind of a beginner, you know, do you have any ideas or like tips of things that they could do? Yes. A lot of people ask me, I get tons of messages all the time from people who ask me my thoughts about death midwifery or death doulas or can I recommend a school or things like that. And my answer is almost always the same. Start with hospice work. Don't, I think, I think this is true, not, not just in death work, but very true in witchcraft as well. You, you have people who are seeking and they want to go from seeking to being a high priestess in a day. And I'm I'm sorry, but your, your three day high priestess retreat does not a leader make you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Get out there and do the hard work. I probably spent a decade volunteering for hospice before I wound up going further and looking for more in it. There are so many amazing programs that need volunteers. It's an amazing, very hands-on way to work with those families, work with individual patients to really get in there and see what it's like. Uh, they have a program called uh, 11th Hour, which I'm very fond of, where um, people who either don't have family or whose family just needs a break and they've gone home for the night, volunteers just come in and sit all night so that if if the patient dies, they won't die alone. And that's such a simple and beautiful act. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really nice. So get out there, do some volunteer work, do the thing that feels boring and uncool because that's, <laughs> that's what's needed yeah and you know that's such a special honor too to be the person 
who sits with somebody as they take their last couple breaths. Um, you know, that that's, you can't even put that in words really. It is. And it's, it's a huge gift to the families to know that their loved one wasn't alone, that them stepping away to eat food or take a shower didn't, didn't mean that, that their loved one was alone. And that's, that's huge. Absolutely. So moving on to another topic that this one's probably going to be a little bit more heavy. Um, so, you know, we're living in the time of COVID We're we're living in the time where people are passing away, whether it's from, you know, Corona or any other, you know, accident or illness or what, what have you. And, you know, unfortunately nowadays in hospitals, people can't go visit their family or they can't even get together with their family to grieve as a group or with their loved ones. So do you have any suggestions for people, you know, specifically pagans who might want to do, you know, say they have a loved one who's passed and they want to do some sort of ritual or honoring or something. Is there anything they could do in a magical sense to try to process their grief, um, you know, in this weird moment in society that we're living through right now? Absolutely. And I could, I could definitely go on like a soapbox rant about (laughs) sort of death in the time of, of COVID-19 is, is so hard because you have families who, one, aren't allowed to be in the hospital room when their loved one is dying. They aren't allowed to even go in person to the funeral home to make arrangements. If they can have a funeral in the state that they're in, it's very limited in scope. Like they can't have very many people. In most cases, it's only 10, including the staff, which is so very small so people are developing all of this grief trauma tied up in the fact that they feel like they were completely disconnected from this experience and i think that i would definitely say to people you know don't don't forget that those death workers are your ally they might seem harried and rushed and frustrated because this is so hard for everybody but you know they're there for you they're they're guides for you they care and they want to do all that they can to make this the the most comforting kind of closure they can give you you know we we have this situation where you know people didn't stop dying of regular things just because there's COVID-19 and people are dying of regular things with more frequency just because they don't have as much access to care and I, I hate to uh, break it to conspiracy theorists, but actually those, those death toll numbers are very low on the news compared to what is the reality because of the rules surrounding how we write death certificates and all manner of strange red tape. So you've got funeral homes who might have, let's say they have 20 cases a year, but now they're having that many in a week. So... It's massive overload, but have compassion where you can for those workers as well, because it's so hard for them and they have so much risk tied up just, just like your healthcare workers and your other frontline workers. But in terms of making sure that you're, you're having that sort of experience that you're wanting and and how you can aid others in those experiences, you know, make sure to Ask your mortuary worker for those things that are going to help you connect, like like your your water or or your little drop of blood on a piece of cloth, so that you can have a, a funerary rite some other place at home. Um, 
hold a memorial with an urn if your loved one was cremated in your home. You know, definitely social distance, but you can do things like Zoom. Um, There's all kinds of options for you there. But in terms of just really basic magical practices, something I really like to do is take a poppet and imbue it with the spirit of that loved one, really sit with it, hold it, and and just take the time to feel like I've called that person's energy into it. And then take as much time as you need. Let them, let your poppet lie in repose on your altar and spend time with it, talk to it, give it all the love and words and comfort that you felt that you couldn't give them while they were alive or dying give it to them now and then when you're ready cremate that on a bonfire or in a cauldron or bury it someplace dear to you or any number of things and then you have this secondary burial space that's somewhere close to you that you can visit and interact with an upkeep oh that's beautiful having that secondary space so close yeah yeah and I think I really think if you're you know, if you're out there and you're wondering how you too can, you know, help people, even if you haven't had a death close to you, you know, don't forget that, that mortuary workers are hugely essential and very much frontline workers, but we're considered B class for things like protective gear. So when you're sewing masks, consider sending a box to your local funeral home instead of just the hospital or You know, if you have an opportunity to send that care package somewhere else, think about your morgue or, or those kinds of things, you know. Absolutely. I think a lot of people don't realize that the virus still continues to live on in the dead. And that, you know, that is correct. (laughs) People at the, in the front line, you know, who are working with the dead, they are getting exposed as well. And it's a very scary situation. It's, it's bad because I don't know. I don't, I don't want to. I don't discount anybody. I think the the healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, and so on, they, they have such a heavy job in being tasked with keeping someone alive to the best of their ability. But I, I like to think of the front line as a circle. If those doctors turned around, we're right behind them because we catch the death that, that slipped by them. Oh. But when it comes to things like protective gear, Nurses, doctors, they're prioritized. When it comes to places like Starbucks wanting to deliver you free coffee, it's the hospital. So we're we're sort of <laughs> we're sort of just like the forgotten redheaded stepchildren of this situation. That's kind of stressful sometimes. Oh my <laughs> gosh, <laughs> feeling like you don't matter. Um, I had somebody tell me once, like, why do you why do you need a mask? You like don't you don't you have scrubs to wear? Or another, <laughs> another person was like. Well, if you get sick, you're asking for it because you chose to be a mortician. What? It's like, it's like eat me, dude. They chose to be nurses and doctors. Like, I've got a family, too. <laughs> oh my God, no. People are crazy. Seriously. Especially in the time of COVID. I mean, there's some real, you know, characters coming out. <laughs> People suck. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, don't don't forget, these death care workers are really putting themselves on the line. Like, those doctors and nurses have way more gear that we have. They have way more access to, you know, protective equipment, medication, and even healthcare because they're right there. But for us, we show up and we empty those 18 wheelers of bodies. And, you know, we know that virus is living on there for 
up to 18 days we know at least oh my goodness we might not have gear we're talking about people working in prep rooms with no gloves and bandanas tied over their face because they have nothing else and you know we we have to do the work no matter what it has to get done and it's not as simple as I had someone say to me uh well it's not like they're coughing or breathing on you well maybe not that's true but I do have to you know, move their body around and manipulate it. And the air does come out of their lungs and I have to aspirate those lungs and clean them and run fluids out of their body. All of those things, you know, put us at risk. So it's, it's definitely scary. Yeah. Well, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. <laughs> it, hey. it's, you know, it, it, you know, you're right. I think a lot of people don't like to think about death in general. And, you know, that comes along with maybe not even thinking about the workers who are involved in that. And it's such an important thing because ultimately every single one of us are going to experience death, whether it's with a loved one or, you know, we're, we're all one day going to die. You know, it's, it's the exactly. truth. And, you know, I, I, I feel fortunate in the sense that growing up with Uh, my family, I do have older family that I was raised with. And um, death was always just a very normalized topic in my home. It wasn't something that we shied away from talking about. Um, And I know that was not the case with a lot of my friends. And, um, you know, I I feel lucky that I'm very consciously aware (laughs) that that it's a thing. It happens. It's inevitable. It's funny. I'm about to give like a random plug to a local funeral home who will never hear this podcast. <laughs> um, there, there's this funeral home called Matt Mahans in my hometown and they served my family when I was a kid and my grandma, it must have been every day of my life. Like she, she'd stub her toe and it'd be like, call Mr. Matt Mahan to come take me <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's so funny. Yeah. And they're just, they're like these small town grim reapers, right? They become these icons. <laughs> It's so funny, but my grandma used to do something similar to that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's just a grandma thing. I don't know. I I have no idea. She used to say, like, you know, a song would come on the radio and she'd really like it. And then she'd turn to me and she'd be like, Ashley, you know, when I die, make sure you play this song at my funeral because I really like it. (laughs) I'd be like seven and I'd be like, Grandma, what? (laughs) Like, I don't even know the name of this song. Like, I don't know. (laughs) And then get like a tape recorder and record it. Like, Sure, I guess. <laughs> you're you're right though about people not liking to think about death. Like right now, everything is so bad that all we want to we want to support healthcare workers, doctors and nurses because those people might save us. And that's wonderful and that's what they do. I'm not deriding that even slightly. But it's easier to think about that than to think about supporting mortuary workers because that means somebody didn't make it. Somebody Somebody failed. Someone didn't survive. But you could realistically spend your whole life never going to a hospital, never seeing a doctor, never catching COVID-19. But eventually, a death care worker will interact with you. Mm-hmm. They will be part of your life. Absolutely. And even if you're not, you know, alive for them to be there, they might be the person, you know, combing your hair. They might be the only person that gets to interact with you because, you know, in quarantine, we've got this situation where families can't be there. They can't do those things. So they might be the comfort that your loved one has. So don't forget that they're out there doing good work, too, in this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Um, So one other thing. So, you know, we've mentioned that 
you have a book coming out. Would you be able to kind of give us like a little bit of um, like a summary or like not a preview, but like just tell us a little bit more about what it's about? I mean, I mentioned the title, but <laughs> it kind of sure. kind of covers your topics. But so I'll tell you a little bit about the title, where the title came from. I feel super awkward plugging things like I feel like an awkward car salesman. So I, I'd rather sort of tell you how it came to be, I guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> As I mentioned, um funeral services can be a really conservative place and I was getting into a debate at one point with another funeral service professional and um, I was talking about pagan families and pagan funerals and their needs and how they might differ from what was being discussed at the time and this person said oh they you know you know Wiccan funerals give me the creeping willies and I was like do tell (laughs) tell me about this (laughs) and uh they were talking about um, having observed a pagan funeral at one time. And, and I don't know the context of the experience they had or even if they had one. But um, they talked about how much it creeped them out. And they specifically mentioned how scary the high priestesses were in their black robes. Okay. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, why? I don't understand. And she was like, so if I go to a pagan funeral, do I have to wear black? And I... I don't know, it was one of those absurd comments where I I didn't know what to say. I felt kind of dumb in the moment because it's like, you know, black is a common color of mourning that like everybody wears, right? Like you're wearing black now. (laughs) (laughs) Why, why is wearing black to a funeral respectful when it's, you know, anybody, but if it's a pagan funeral, suddenly wearing black is satanic or evil. I don't understand that. Yeah. So that was kind of where the title came from. Do I have to wear black? I thought if those are the kinds of questions that non-pagans have, if they want to understand what we need, what we want, what we do, I'll answer that question. I wanted to write something that empowered pagan families to ask for things, to express their needs, to talk about their culture and their beliefs. I wanted funeral service professionals to have something they could pick up and understand those things too and know how to be better allies for those communities i found that you know we we as pagans we know how to live a pagan life we we know that we are reconstructing beliefs in a lot of situations especially people who are practicing uh faiths like medicism or hellenism or things like that where they're they're literally trying to recreate something ancient we know that if we don't have something available to us, what do we do? We create it. We make it wholesale and we say, this is ours now. But I found that when it came to death practices, people didn't have anything organized or they hadn't thought about it or they just weren't in a cohesive place for people to find. And who can deal with that when someone has already died when you have that deceased loved one right there, right now, who wants to go research what a proper comedic funeral looks like? Nobody. So I, I wanted to make a resource that had all those things in one spot so that those families, those funeral service workers, and even guests of those funerals would know what to expect, know what to ask for, know what they would see. So that's what I tried to make. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to read it when it comes out. <laughs> Well, hopefully it's a good resource for people and is not completely boring, but (laughs) you know, I I find death were honestly just so interesting. I don't even know how somebody can find it boring, but you know, teach their own. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) It might be like the Chinese menu of books. We'll see. (laughs) 
it's all utility and no fun yeah who knows <laughs> well best of luck to you on your book release i i think it's going to be awesome and i think that's such a great resource that you're putting out there in, in the world i think people are going to really really love that and enjoy that and you know i'm excited to read it myself thank you and, and i i'm just i'm so grateful to Llewellyn for believing in this vision and giving me space to put it out to people i know it's it's kind of a, a wing note one for them so i hope it's I hope it pays off for them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it will. I mean, there's nothing else that, I mean, at least I know of that really covers this, you know, in one spot, like you said. So I think this is something that was needed. Well, if, if nothing else, if nothing else at all, if it serves one singular family, if one family finds that book and finds something that's meaningful to them and it helps them through their grief, then it was worth writing. Oh, but. But I really enjoyed talking to you today, Ashley. And thank you so much for having me on. Oh, absolutely. And Martell, one more thing before you go. So every time I have a guest come on, I always ask them this one question. So I'm going to ask it to you. Uh, So, you know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are pretty new uh, beginners in witchcraft and Wicca um, or, you know, both or one or the other. Is there any advice that you would give somebody who is just kind of exploring this topic and might want to get a little bit more involved of things they could do or something like a little nugget of knowledge that you could give them um about death work or being in uh witchcraft in general anything whatever comes to mind (laughs) whatever comes to mind (sighs) i would say this i i spent a lot of time feeling like being a seeker to craft was going to mean that i had this wealth of knowledge and experience handed to me on a plate And that's not always true. Sure, we should treat our experience like it's college. But never forget that you're not an in-class student. You're an online student. That's how you should always look at your witchcraft. Look at it like you're participating in discussion boards and labs once every two weeks when you show up to ritual. It's all that time in between. All that stuff you do for yourself All that reading that you do in your quiet hours, that's going to make you the witch that you one day are. Those experiences in labs, they're they're a test. Those rituals you show up for are about building community, and they are a test of your experiences and how you've grown. Never, ever look at them like those moments are going to give you everything you need. You have to be curious. Wow. That's some really sage advice. <laughs> that's actually, a, that's a really awesome way of looking at it. Like as if it's an online class, I've taken a lot of those and it really does make the difference of what you do outside of there on your own to build mm-hmm. up on your skills. I mean, that makes or break somebody. Absolutely. I, I completely encourage everybody who is seeking traditional craft to look at it that way. Never, ever look at those rituals every couple of weeks as your entire learning experience it's everything in between that matters which is often the case in life <laughs> yep. and then I think the other thing to you know keep in mind with that is don't be an armchair witch <laughs> oh of course yeah oh man and I know I'm cheating because I'm going to say two things but oh that's fine <laughs> it's so important to learn how to resource and find good materials you you cannot just look for your whole craft experience in like a Scott Cunningham book. You have to yeah. <laughs> like learn how to research resource good source material. Like 
get out there, find original texts and dig into the old dusty, boring stuff. Find a book. Does it cite something? Then don't read it if it doesn't. Like, put it down. Does it cite something? Go read that thing too. <laughs> Keep going backwards <laughs> until you run out of stuff. <laughs> There's always something more to read. You definitely have to treat it like academia. And I think that people miss out on that a little bit because we... I don't know, we're a very um, indulgent sort of like instant gratification culture. And that does not work in like a traditional witchcraft setting. You you have to dig further than what's in front of you to go further in a mystery tradition. You, you have to show your teachers that you can find things, that you're curious. You have to show them that... You want more than what's right in front of you. And I think it's so important to question things in a respectful way. Like, get curious about something. Um, Take what you're told and wonder why that's the way it is. Research, find its origins, ask a question. Say if you don't like something. Never, ever just put your head down and say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. Like, interact. Because one day you will be peers with those teachers and... It's important to have a relationship where you can have meaningful exchange. Absolutely. Yeah. Question what you learn. And, you know, by asking those questions, that's how you learn more about the material than if you just, you know, like you said, put your head down and say, oh, okay, sure. But also be polite and maybe show up with a bottle of wine when you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you don't, if you don't bring some sort of offering, then, uh, you know, I I don't know about that. No, I'm I'm totally kidding. But wine and witchcraft. Oh, yeah. That's always a good combination. I saw I saw a meme once that I, I adored. It's like never show up to a witch's house empty-handed. Bring food, tobacco, sex, death, something. <laughs> oh, I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Bring something. Bring something because you know people like having gifts. It's appreciative of you know you're acknowledging that they're spending their time and sharing with you. And who doesn't want a glass of wine with a witch? Come on. Oh my God. People have no idea how much <laughs> like time and energy and personal resources teachers put into their covens. I don't think it's just like so easy to show up at your high priestess's house and eat their food and have ritual, but it's, <laughs> she spent her whole day cleaning toilets for you. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> cookies or something like be cool about it. Definitely. You know, it's like if you're having people over, like most people probably spend a couple hours or a day or, I don't know, maybe a whole weekend cleaning their entire house before people come over. Now, imagine being part of a teaching coven and that you meet every week or every other week. Well, that means every other week somebody's doing that for you. Oh, yes. Not to mention, like, all the time you put into, like, conversations and emails and phone calls. It's a lot. It is a big commitment to to be a teacher in the craft. Absolutely. So, So to bring it back around to what I said at the beginning of the podcast, I don't think you're going to get all that in your your weekend high priestess retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got to put in the work yourself. And, you know, it's self-discovery. You know, got to do it on your own. Oh, yes. You always will. You'll have help if you ask for it, of course. But it's very important to put in the work on your own. Oh, yes, absolutely. Cool. All right, Matalis, well, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a pleasure. And again, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. You know, it, it's so invaluable and it's so needed. And, you know, it, it's it's great. And, I, you know, thank you again for everything. And again, thank you for having me on. I, I really enjoyed chatting. And 
Um, thank you for giving me a platform to shill my written works. <laughs> and I hope we get to ch- you know chat again sometime. Oh, absolutely. You're welcome back whenever you'd like. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And I hope you all have a great morning or night or whatever you're listening to this. <laughs> well, and be safe out there. <laughs> exactly. Please be safe. Please be protective. You know, and if you have a spare mask, send it to a death worker. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Oh, um, and one quick thing. So how can people find you if they want to reach you? Oh, absolutely. A good question. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, um, I'm a crow and the dead. And on Facebook, I am backslash Mortellus. And you can find links to other things like our coven website and so on from Instagram. Awesome. And I will link your information as well in the bio for this episode. Cool. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.